Hi, and welcome to our latest episode of the Room and Room podcasts. Now, this episode is just one of a series of podcasts brought to you by the Facebook group, The Room and Room, proudly supported by our sponsors, Pigeon Rights and Seeds. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a veterinarian and nutritionist based with the Pigeon Rights and Seeds team here in Lincoln, Canterbury, in New Zealand. Now, in this, our 30th podcast episode now, we're going to cover off part one of a two-part series investigating a range of topics to do with the drying off of lactating dairy cows. Now, to anyone who's new to the dairy industry, or perhaps you're listening in, you're more into sheep, beef, deer, and other ruminant species, drying off is just a term that simply means convincing our lactating in milk dairy cows that it's time for her annual holiday away from the milking shed. So drying off means uh, putting together a series of steps to encourage the cow and her udder uh, to shut down on the milk synthesis side of things and to have a break away from the shed. Drying cows off, let's kick the conversation off, I guess, with just why do cows need to have a dry-off period? And why can't we simply keep milking cows on continuously? Secondly, in this podcast, we're going to work through the discussion around decisions of whether we should abruptly dry cows off, or in the case of higher producing cows, should we consider a period of once a day milking, uh, if they're on twice a day milking at the moment, before dry off? And just looking at what's happening overseas versus standard recommendations around this point here in New Zealand and also in Australia. And as well, at the end of this podcast, we're going to scene set the importance of different nutritional strategies as you head towards dry off. But what we're going to do is carry the nutritional management strategies over into the second of this two-part Drying Cows Off series, which is going to be episode number 31. So in that second podcast of a two-part series, we'll pick up again on the topic of drying cows off, but to carry on our conversation around the nutritional strategies to help dry dairy cows off, including a reduction of the intake of uh, energy and other nutrients of the cow. And we'll also discuss a potential strategy that some of you may already be doing or have tried in the past around dropping the dietary protein intake of your cows with the specific aim to improve outcomes around cow body condition score when we dry cows off. But yeah, that's going to be part two, episode number 31, if you want to talk about the nutritional aspects around drying off. In the meantime, we're going to get into part one and talk about things to do with why we need to dry cows off and give them a holiday and also the effect of milking frequency on drying cows off when they're doing higher per cow production in late lactation. Now to kick this one off, we are going to put in our standard quick disclaimer before we get too further into this topic about drying off lactating cows because as always, look, this episode and our nutritionally based episode around drying off will never in any way uh, intend to replace the excellent advice from your very own veterinarian about drying your cows off, uh, typically here in New Zealand as part of 
the uh, time that you put aside to sit with your vet and to discuss the uh, use of particularly of dry cow therapy, DCT, and or internal teat sealant options. So this uh, podcast is not going to discuss the pros and cons and the appropriateness of using those two therapies uh, to assist cows with drying off. So instead, we will leave you in the very capable hands of your own vet to cover off those very important topics particularly given here in New Zealand, we are now steering firmly down the course of only using dry cow therapy or antibiotics in a very selective or strategic way and no longer uh, supporting the ongoing use of what we used to call blanket dry cow therapy where all cows got antibiotics. So good that we're looking from the sustainability point of view of use of antibiotics to uh, control mastitis in cows, but that's very much your own vet's topic. So instead, leaving our short disclaimer behind, we'll move on to I guess the next area of discussion around drying cows off, kicking off, like with many things in life, what is the why? The why do we have to dry cows off? Look, the current system and recommendations from those lactation gurus, the scientists that know all to do with lactation and how the udder works, they tell us that we need to give our cows a regular break from the lactation Process, and we'll cover a little bit more detail about that shortly. For our spring calving herds, uh, which is the predominant dairy herd situation in New Zealand, that mean, means typically a, sort of a break over the winter months. And because we are seasonally calving, and the cows will calve down on average once a year, once every 365 days, we need, therefore, within that 365 day period, to fit in both a lactation and a dry period. So we'll talk about how the breakdown of the timing around lactation and dry periods in New Zealand works shortly. If, on the other hand, you may be listening from parts of New Zealand where you split calve, uh, or in parts of Australia, split calve autumn and spring, or for some of you, you may may be batch calving, perhaps four times a year, or indeed you might be calving all year. With those situations, you may have the opportunity to run a relatively longer lactation length, perhaps closer to the hypothetical like 305 day lactation that everyone talks about, or indeed even longer than 305 days. However, for split calving, batch calving and year round calving, we need to be careful that we don't end up with a very long lactation, like seriously, like 400 days or more, because when we run very long lactations, we start to lose some of the efficiencies of lactation in that in the the long tail, if you'd like, the, the latter stages of 400 days plus, the per cow production by um, those cows with very long lactation starts to drop away. And on average, if a cow's not producing much at, at the tail end of 400 days or plus, uh, the, ma- the maintenance costs of running that cow end up costing more than what the production is actually um, generating from a cash flow point of view. So maybe that's another conversation another day around the inefficiencies of very long lactations. But look, back on track to our seasonal calving herds and our typical lactation uh, length here in New Zealand. Now, based on the most recent available 
Livestock Improvement Corporation, LIC, dairy stats that are put out every year. At the timing of recording this podcast, the most recent ones available online were for the 2021-2022 season. And for that season, the average days in milk for a New Zealand dairy cow is around about that 274 days. If you're listening from overseas, yeah, yeah, we we know that this might appear to you that this is quite a short lactation length versus the potential and often talked about 305-day lactation. But hey, it is what it is. And to give um, our wonderful dairy producers here in New Zealand a heap of credit where credit's due, this lactation length used to be a whole lot shorter, like, you know, 12, 15 years or so ago. It was more like 240 days. So, yep, over the last few years, we're getting there. And uh, hopefully there's still some efficiencies. We'll have a slightly longer lactation length than the current, or certainly last season's 274 days. If we do the maths and we say there's 365 days in the year, that means on average our New Zealand seasonally calved dairy cows have a longer dry period or that holiday away from the dairy shed compared with overseas systems where perhaps that may be, you know, more like, um, you know, 50 to, to 70 days. So, yeah, it's a longer dry period, you know, more like sort of 10 to 12 weeks. And clearly we'd lose some efficiencies in our system because of that. On average, our target dry period for a cow, the holiday away from the shed, in more efficient systems would typically be somewhere between six to eight weeks, but probably closer to eight weeks. You might be asking, well, Charlotte, look, in New Zealand, your average dry period is probably closer to 90 days. Uh, And that's true. Do we expect to see any benefits of New Zealand's longer dry period of 90 days, uh, perhaps over and above, you know, sort of uh, 55 days? Um, what's, What's the additional time doing for us? Well, once we reach a dry period of about 10 weeks, about 70 days, we don't necessarily get additional benefits um, by having a longer dry period than 10 weeks. So when we are out to closer to perhaps 12 weeks, uh, you know, that 90 days around about, we do um, not expect, unfortunately, to get benefits from our longer dry period. So average dry period in New Zealand, 90 days we're not getting additional benefits of giving the cow a longer holiday than if you went um, from a theoretical perhaps eight weeks and certainly no longer than 10 weeks. So there is a a point with the length of dry periods where too long can start to become an issue because the long dry period is balanced by clearly a shorter than ideal lactation period, which from a systems point of view, is inefficient by having a shorter lactation period. But look, hold that thought. We're going to come back to this point again very shortly. Just why do our cows need to have a break from milking? Well, look, quite simply from the, selfishly from the udder's point of view, the milk secretory cells in the udder that uh, put together the components of milk like lactose, fat and protein, uh, like all cells in the body, uh, cells will start to age over a period of time and they start to get more tired as the duration of lactation progresses. So these clever little cells that take the building blocks of nutrients like amino acids to turn into milk protein, they take uh, blood glucose and turn into lactose and fatty acids to turn into milk fat, 
those clever little cells need a break, a holiday, just like us. And of course, the cow herself enjoys a bit of a holiday away from the routine of the milking shed as well. So good for the cow and good for the, the udder. So let's take a bit more of a deep dive into the importance of the dry period from the udder's point of view and those ageing secretory cells. Well, look, once a cow is dried off and the udder is no longer producing milk, some of those very tired and older milk secretory cells are actually lost. So they um, just break down and they are lost. And instead, they are replaced by brand new, healthier, happier and more productive milk secretory cells in readiness um, for the coming new lactation. And to be fair, a proportion of those older cells do actually hang in there, if you'd like, between lactations. But because they get to have a decent stand down or rest over the dry period, some of those older cells will carry over between lactations. And that's simply because those uh, cells have a rest from those metabolic activities producing all the different components of milk during those few weeks of not lactating. Either way, the combination, the combo of those older rested and relaxed secretory cells and the whole new cohort of new secretory cells will be collectively up and ready to go and they'll be a whole lot more active in early lactation than those tired old cells that were getting pretty run down towards the end of the previous lactation. Now, you're probably dying to ask a question here. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're just driving the car, the kids are in the back yelling at each other and you're just passing time listening to this. But anyway, if you were going to ask a question, it'd be one that I've always been curious about, is what might happen if we didn't allow the cow and her udder to take a break at all. In other words, she might have gotten back in calf, uh, first round of AI. What would happen if we, instead of having a dry period, we milked those in-calf cows right the way through until the girls calved down again? Well, look, clearly that isn't ideal for a whole range of issues. The cow doesn't get her uh, holiday away from the shed. She doesn't have a dry period to let the secretory cells do their rest and recovery things. And because of all of that, if she calves down again while still in milk from the previous lactation, on average, her milk solids production in lactation number two will be reduced by anything from 10% to more than 50% of what she would otherwise produce if she'd had a decent dry period break of a minimum, bare minimum of six weeks, if not ideally that eight weeks or even 10 weeks for her dry period. So not a good idea to avoid a dry period for cows that have experienced a subclinical or clinical episode of mastitis during her initial lactation. Quite honestly, not only do her secretory cells need to have a rest and relaxation period during the dry period, but through the use of selective prescriptive dry cow therapy, in many cases that dry period also allows for the udder to recover, but in the presence of dry cow therapy antibiotics also allow that cow to finally clear of uh, essentially an infection that might have come through from that first lactation. Hopefully you're convinced, um, I think, you know, I've convinced myself that there's no way that we'd never not have a dry period for a lactating cow. 
And I guess a final word around the necessity for an appropriate dry period in terms of appropriate length of dry period away from the shed. We've only talked about the other milk secretory tissue needs as far as rest and relaxation goes. Now, as you're no doubt thinking as well, come on, Charlotte, what about the cow herself? And yes, she needs a rest. Specifically, she needs a rest from the needs of lactation because in many cases in late lactation, she may not yet be in the appropriate body condition score necessary for her to then calve down again at in the New Zealand condition score case with our 1 to 10 condition score scale, getting her back to a condition score 5 to 5.5. Now, if she's a cow of high genetic merit and she continues to milk and you don't have a lot of nutritional strategies for late lactation to encourage her to start to partition more energy to live weight gain, such as feeding higher rates of maize silage, she's just simply not going to have a chance to rest, relax, no longer be walking long distances and instead she can actually regain sufficient body weight and condition score. So she is in perfect condition score and live weight ready to carve down again. So yes, the dry period is important for the udder itself, but very much for our cows as well. Okay, so look, that's the benefits to the udder and also to the cow around the importance of an adequate dry period away from the shed. Let's move the topic on, I guess, towards some aspects around the actual drying off process itself. And we're going to finish the rest of this podcast and also in uh, the second part of this podcast, so that'll be episode 31 to keep an eye out for. And we're going to focus specifically around the dry off process itself. Well, look, to scene set with the dry off process, Let's first make this very outcome focused. I think sometimes rather than going straight to how do you dry cows off, it's nice to scene set and say if dry off as a process went really well, what would that look like? So we can have a bit of a vision of if we're happy, uh, we're a month after dry off and we're super stoked with how drying off has gone, what does it look like? then we can work backwards from what super good looks like um, to talk to the actual process around drying off itself. So all of us, I guess, if we were sitting down together over a cuppa and having what does a good dry off outcome look like, what we're targeting is to get a process that results in the rapid drop down in milk synthesis. And by achieving that in a rapid manner, we're hopefully going to achieve this with minimal or hopefully very little, if any, discomfort to the cow herself. Because increasingly in dairy industries internationally, it's actually really good to see a real focus on what's good for the cow, as well as what's good necessarily for production and and profit and that sort of stuff. Let's make it all about the cow. Now, what we need is a dry-off process that's going to minimise the stress on the cows, We don't really, if we can help it, want them bellowing and pacing and being super unhappy. We don't want them with so much milk in their udder that she's going to be pacing around and a lot of discomfort, not wanting to lie down and rest and and those sorts of things. So we want a dry-off process that's going to keep our girls comfortable and as relaxed as we can because the well-being of our cows 
is a very important part of keeping them happy and also healthy. And we're going to talk a little bit about the immune system and how we need to look after that through dry off as well over this and uh, also the next podcast, Podcast 31. Because the genetic drive, that propensity to want to produce milk no matter what we do, um, many of our cows, depending on how we dry them off, and we'll talk about the nutritional aspects in the next podcast, they may lose or drop some body condition score. So when we're looking at having a dry-off process, and particularly around nutrition, a good dry-off process, if we want to envisage what that looks like, will be one that minimises the duration and extent of loss of back fat um, through the dry-off process. That's a really important cow-based um, outcome that we want to focus on, happy, healthy cows that only lose condition for a short period of time, or indeed are there options from a nutritional point of view to even stop that mobilisation of back fat, but uh, we can talk more about that in episode 31 in a conceptual sense. Now another thing that we want a good dry-off process to look like is ideally we don't want to see cows um, squirting or dripping a huge amount of milk from the end of the teats through dry off. Clearly technology has come a long way and you've probably already had your dry cow consult with your vet and talked about the uh, use of internal teat sealants which are really becoming quite a mainstream thing here in New Zealand and other countries around the world as well. So even if you are using an internal teat sealant what we don't want to see is any milk leaking even around your sealant if it hasn't sealed entirely because whether you've used teat sealant or not we don't want ongoing um, pouring of milk through and after dry off because if the teat canal is still wide open and we're um, leaking milk we have a concern around the risk of firstly and if you're relying not on uh, internal teat sealants but instead on mother nature's own keratin teat plug to form like we used to do in the old days pre-internal teat sealants if the cow continues to leak it's associated with a greater chance that that keratin teat plug won't form at all or will only form partially so that means that if we don't get a keratin teat plug if you're not using teat sealants that the teat canal, if you'd like, is going to act like a, a, a one-way highway, if you'd like, for environmental pathogens, particularly strep uberus, to make their way up past the, the end of the teat, up into the teat canal and into the milk secretory tissue. So that will increase the incidence and prevalence of early dry period mastitis. Not ideal. We really want to keep that percentage of cows with early dry period mastitis down low. Ideally none, but certainly fewer than 1% of cows dried off. That would be an awesome, what does good look like? That's what good looks like as far as a metric um, with, with not many at all early dry period cases of mastitis. Now in terms of what does good look like from the farm system point of view with dry off, and also cow comfort, is that we want our cows through dry-off to have a lovely large area of pasture to lie down on, to lounge around on through that dry-off period. Now twofold, one for the cow, she, just like us, 
as social creatures also like their personal space and they like to be able to stretch out and feel that they're not behind a wire, being bullied and picked on by other cows and that social space, if you like, reduces stress on the cow, which is important through dry-off because she's got other stresses going on. We may have had to reduce um, the amount of feed that she's been offered through dry-off, so she's going a little bit hungrier than what we necessarily would have for a, a lactating cow. So if we can keep social stress off cows through dry-off, that has to be good as well. The other benefits of having cows spread out, if you'd like, through dry-off over a larger area of pasture is that it's less likely that if uh, conditions are a little bit wet in late autumn that she's going to, along with her mates, pug up a lot of mud. So more spread out, less mud, and less mud means fewer of those environmental pathogens, including but not limited to strep uberus, ending up crawling up the teat canal where any cows may be dripping a little bit of milk and as we said before that's not ideal. And we'll be talking more in episode 31 around pasture management at dry off. Ideally what you want is not drying off on pastures at the top of your pasture wedge, in other words your high pasture covers. One is that they'll be very high quality with lots of protein. Two is that at higher pasture masses mean that we're going to have to hold the drying off cows on smaller areas per cow. Instead what you might choose to do is during the last week before you dry off you might want to run your milkers um, across pastures and use the milkers to eat you know like from 2800 pre-grazing mass maybe down to sort of 1800 um, kilograms dry matter post-grazing residuals. Then what we've got is a lot less pasture on offer per hectare, you know, the 1800 or 1900. We can dry cows off on those areas because we can have a, a much bigger square metre allocation per cows and the cows aren't jammed on top of each other. As well, the milkers would have picked a lot of the green material, the higher protein forage, out of that pasture and the drying off cows can then eat further into the base of the sward where there's more what we call pseudo-stem, you know, the, the white-looking part of the grass as a, as a post-grazing residual, and that on average contains less protein. So I'm mentioning that now just as a, a, a flag up so we remember to discuss pasture management in more detail when we get onto the nutritional aspects at, around drying off uh, in episode 31. So stay tuned for that one. Well, that's only probably part of what good dry-off looks like. You'll probably be adding to your list around what good dry-off looks like, and that's going to be managing people well-being through this time. Maybe you're going to be doing batch dry-off so we don't get fatigued with all of that intramammary application of getting the teat sealants into the teat canals, also dry cow therapy. So good is also looking after people, and good has probably got a whole lot of other connotations for you aside from the factors we've mentioned until now. Now we've got our vision of what good is going to look like for us, let's look from a process point of view. What are the two high level like big picture approaches as ways to dry cows off? In other words, what are the two key approaches that are acknowledged by the scientists as ways to reduce milk synthesis in the udder 
of our soon-to-be-dried-off cows. Well, there's two key approaches, and it's interesting internationally um, around the world, but even different regions within countries. Different regions and different farms will quite often take different approaches to each or maybe a combination of both of these following two processes around drying cows off. So what's the number one approach of how to dry cows off? Well, probably the first and uh, and the best known strategy to dry cows off is the nutritional approach of which the nuts and bolts we're going to go into in the next episode. But essentially this means on a daily basis, reducing the amount of energy, of protein, and indeed other nutrients in the diet on offer to cows. So this approach of reducing energy and other nutrients is to aim to reduce the supply of nutrients, specifically the nutrients in the blood that drives the synthesis of milk and and gives the building blocks of the different aspects of milk, um, of reducing those nutrients in the blood arriving at the udder. So specifically we're talking about glucose as a precursor for the milk sugar production, which is of course lactose, amino acids to produce proteins and dietary lipids um, arriving at the udder to support milk fat synthesis. So because the cow isn't consuming as many nutrients, we'll have fewer nutrients arriving at the udder. Therefore, in the perfect world, milk um, secretion and milk synthesis and secretion should start to slow down. So changing the diet of cows by reducing intake of dietary energy and protein is considered by far the more important way to help cows to dry off. And again, the nuts and bolts of this is going to be the entire episode 31 to to really drill into some of the different approaches to this. So that's reducing the supply of nutrients to the cow and therefore to the udder as the number one approach to drying cows off. What about number two? Now, the other way to encourage cows to start to dry off is to reduce milking frequency. Now, this specifically would be from reducing cows from twice a day milking down to once a day milking, typically for a number of days, maybe five to seven days before dry off. Now, this strategy is applied almost entirely for cows that are producing a lot of milk in late lactation. And we'll we'll come back for the decision, I guess, around which should you do, gradual dry-off for high-producing cows or maybe abrupt dry-off for cows that aren't producing much milk. So hang on to that thought. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I guess what do the scientists tell us around the theory around why reduced milking frequency starts to reduce the volume of milk produced? Well, simply, as you might visualise, and you've seen cows as you've gone to once a day or when you've dried cows off in other seasons, as the pressure within the udder structure starts to increase slightly, what happens is that the blood supply of the building blocks of milk synthesis, of glucose and amino acids and fatty acids, the supply of those building blocks to the udder is 
reduced. So therefore, milk synthesis starts to drop away. So that's when we reduce the milking frequency from twice a day to once a day milking when cows are producing a lot of milk. So that's one theory. The blood supply is reduced slightly, therefore nutrient supply is also reduced. Another theory proposed and has got a reasonable amount of science behind it is that when we no longer milk on a regular basis, in other words twice a day milking and instead only removing milk once a day, there can be the presence of a hormone. Uh, It could be serotonin, but whatever it is, it's defined as a feedback inhibitor of lactation, or in other words, FIL, feedback inhibitor of lactation. And the presence of this hormone that's present more often because the cow's only being milked once a day potentially has a feedback loop and contributes to a reduced drive to produce milk. As far as um, these two approaches to drawing off, one is reducing the nutrients supplied to the cow in her diet, and number two is um, reduced milking frequency. Certainly here in New Zealand, we tend to almost exclusively rely on the first part of this, which is reducing the nutrient supply to the cow, which we're going to cover more in uh, episode number 31. And quite often, from a New Zealand point of view, many of our herds if not all cows, but certainly lighter conditioned cows, are often already on once a day anyway. They might have been on once a day for a couple of months heading into dry off. So to be fair for many of our herds where the majority or all cows are on once a day milking and late lactation due to cow condition being a bit lighter than planned, we don't really have this reduction in milking frequency as a tool in the toolkit to help drying off. And in fact, we therefore resort or go back to the number one recommendation if you're already on once a day for a period of time, which is to abruptly dry cows off. So how about if you do take your cows through on twice a day milking right through to the point at which you intend to dry them off? Now, what decision process, in other words, yes, no, do we dry off abruptly or do we take them down to once a day for a few days or not? Well, when you look at this internationally around the globe, there are a huge range of recommendations around exactly this point. Do we take twice a day milk cows and dry them off abruptly or do we step them down through once a day for a period of time? Your decision ultimately will be helped by talking to your vet about this particular point. Do we once a day, your twice a day milk cows um, for a few days or not? And your vet will quite often discuss with you a few key points around whether you should dry off abruptly or take your twice a day girls down to once a day for a few days or a week. Your vet will typically be firstly probably looking at your somatic cell counts that you're running at the moment because when we step from twice a day to once a day you will typically see a spike in your somatic cell count and clearly that's not ideal particularly if you've been grade free all season and you're very proud about that the last thing you want to do is grade because you've gone once a day from twice a day just before dry off so your vet can talk about that and also any risks around bringing on cases of mastitis by periods of once a day right before dry off you know cows that have perhaps um, had a case of clinical mastitis earlier on or whatever. But again, disclaimer time, your vet will talk you through that as well. The other thing that we take into consideration around, do we put you through that risk of spiking your somatic cell count in late lactation by going once a day for a short period of time? It's very much to do with the volume of milk that the cows are still churning out in late lactation. 
So if you're on twice a day and the cows are still producing a huge amount of milk, like, you know, better regions of New Zealand, perhaps you're doing a partial mixed ration feeding and you've had good levels of, uh, you know, cereal grains and maybe protein meals and everything is going well, you might have cows that are still doing... I guess we'll, we'll turn this into litres talk here. You know, you might have cows still doing 15 to 18 litres per cow per day. And on that basis, uh, international research does suggest that in those situations, you may be better to have a period of once a day so that you combine restriction of nutritional inputs from a diet point of view, but you combine it together with a period of once a day dry off. So look, we're not going to labour this point too far, but just acknowledging that it's, um, it's going to depend on your somatic cell count, what your clinical cases of mastitis have been like through the lactation, your ability to potentially use selective dry cow therapy, lots of other factors that are beyond this podcast because we do not intend to be prescriptive around this point. Summing up, I guess, for us Kiwis here in New Zealand, the local recommendations around whether we abruptly dry cows off or whether we take uh, twice-a-day cows down to once-a-day for a period of time, the standard recommendation is, if in doubt, we dry off abruptly. Now, this standard recommendation is made from the well-known Smart Sam program, and Smart Sam program, <laughs> for those of you older like me, you'll probably remember it as the original Sam plan. And Smart Sam uh, is a resource available on the Dairy NZ website, so you can Google that. There's a lot of hugely useful milk quality and mastitis and drying off advice to be had there. But yes, yeah, summing up, the current recommendation from Smart Sam is that we should dry New Zealand dairy cows off abruptly and that there's no benefit to be had for having short periods of time on once a day if you're twice a day right up to the point of drying off. So that is a recommendation. It's also supported by the Countdown Down Under literature for those of you listening in from Australia, which, like Smart Sam, says, if in doubt, dry your cows off abruptly. It's a broad brush recommendation. Some of you may have situations on twice a day milking where you do want to step down to once a day. Enough about that. We will leave that to the advice of rural professionals, your vet and others working with your herd. Now, one point here about milking frequency that's a really, really important take home. So if the kids have been fighting in the back seat while you've been trying to listen to this in the car, you've zoned out a bit because you're sick of hearing about once or twice a day milking, listen into this one. The most important comment here when we're talking about reducing milk milking frequency is that we're only talking about dropping the benefits of dropping from twice a day to once a day for high-producing cows. What we are not definitely not talking about here at all is what we'd term skip a day milking in the dry off process. So skip a day milking is an absolute no-no. So let me just clarify that point. What we mean with skip a day milking is that we milk the cows today, we don't milk them tomorrow, and then we milk them again the following day. So in other words, milking every second day. Do not skip a day milking. Despite a little bit of difference in the literature around high-producing cows and whether we should do once a day or abruptly dry off, everyone internationally totally agrees with one another. They're on the same page. Skip-a-day milking is a recipe for real problems. You will greatly increase the risk of a spike in um, somatic cell count, much more than, than once-a-day milking. And there is a much greater risk of inducing clinical mastitis 
if we skip a day milking. So don't do that because of the somatic cell count and the mastitis risks. And as well, there's evidence that if we do skip a day milking, we will reduce or even prevent the formation of Mother Nature's keratin teat plug, which is, of course, the natural way of the teat trying to seal itself off, particularly in the absence if you're, if you're not using internal teat sealants uh, in all your cows. So take home. Yes, milking frequency is an important component of drying cows off, but if cows are producing fewer kilos of milk solids or fewer litres, not a whole lot at the end of lactation, just dry them off, finish, abrupt. I guess we're working towards the end of this podcast now and then we'll, we'll do a fresh start on the nutritional aspects around drying off in the next podcast. But look, there's a couple of other points. In fact, there's many tips and tricks around drying cows off, but there's probably one really important one here which is about once you've dried your cows off, please keep them well away from the milking shed for the next, ideally, 14 days after dry off. Now, that probably works against what you would want to do, which would be maybe run the cows through the shed, checking quarters, looking for those early dry period cases of mastitis. However... We have some very clever cows um, that work hard for us. And like any mammalian clever species, they associate the process of walking to and into the milking shed with their hormonal milk letdown reflex. So as they're coming up to the shed, the sights, the smells, the sounds of the milking shed triggers the hormonal reflex that results in milk letdown. So we have our beautifully dried off dairy cows still in the process of absorbing and um, taking care of the milk that's in their udder. If within that first couple of weeks after dry off they come to the shed, they will start to drip and leak milk more than if they stayed in the paddock. And that can blow out, if you'd like, the busily forming keratin teat plug in the end of the teat canal. That letdown process then puts milk, drops milk into the teat canal that again forms that highway for the environmental pathogens, strep uberus particularly, to go climbing up that teat canal and into the delicate secretory tissue of the udder. So all in all, we want the teat plug um, to continue to form or if it's formed to stay intact. We want our internal teat sealant diffused to very well and truly stay where it belongs within the teat canal and all your dry cow therapy to stay put as well. So long story short, even though intuitively we want to have a really close look to look for uh, the early dry period cases of mastitis, keep them out of the shed uh, for the two weeks. It may be that if you have yards, you can run them through wherever they've gone potentially for the dry period, South Island, they might have gone to your runoff or to um, contracted crop or whatever. You could run them back through yards to have a good look for cases or you just spend some quiet gentle time with the cows walking around and having a really close look at them out in the paddock. So there's probably lots of other tips and tricks around drying off, but I think for this podcast it's been long enough, so we'll wrap this up. But look, summing up, first thing first, we'll all agree hopefully now that the cow and her udder most definitely deserve their dry cow period away from the milking shed, giving the cow a chance to gain condition if she's lighter than where she needs to be for calving down. 
and importantly, all the little hard workers, those secretory cells in the udder, time to rest and recuperate, maybe to renew themselves before our cows calve down again and, and enter into a new lactation. So again, summing up, usually that holiday, if you'd like, that dry period is anywhere from six to ten weeks, but probably eight to ten weeks. And for many of us here in New Zealand, we're probably going to be quite a bit longer than ten weeks, you know, maybe maybe even closer to 12 to 13 weeks. In terms of framing up what does a good outcome look like for your dry-off period, sometimes it's good to brainstorm this with some of your team, uh, friends and family, with uh, your consultant, with your vet, and say if dry-off was amazing, what would it look like? And you can frame that up so you can target towards what good is going to be. So that's not a bad process to do. And when you're drying cows off, we want the process to tick the box on looking after your cows from the cow's well-being point of view, looking after her. We're going to talk a little bit about what drying off can sometimes do to things like the immune system. We're going to cover that in the next episode. So we want to keep them well. We want their immune system to keep well. We need them to be comfortable and uh, not bellowing and not pacing and comfortable enough to want to lie down normally and for that milk synthesis process to shut down quickly. For most farms, this will mean a combination of a reduction in the intake of dietary nutrients. And for those of you whose herds are still producing very well on twice a day, there may, under the guidance of your vet and uh, qualified maybe ruminant nutritionist, opportunities to go to once a day and support this with some nutritional strategies to be covered in that next episode. Skip a day milking is a definite no-no. Uh, we're going to talk more about it in episode 31, but withholding water, stock water from cows is an extreme big no-no. We'll cover that more in the next episode. And finally, we don't want cows coming back to the shed. But look, thanks for listening into this particular podcast, and hopefully you found something of, of interest there. If drying off is something that's relevant for you as we head into the autumn of New Zealand when this podcast is being recorded, do join into our part two of this drying off series where we're going to cover, as we've mentioned previously, wholly solely on the nutritional aspects around drying off, including minerals, energy, proteins. So yeah, head over and find episode 31 to hear more about that. But yeah, in the meantime, hope you're having an awesome day uh, out and about, whatever you've been up to while you've been tuning into this podcast. Hope you can uh, join us again. And uh, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of our Room and Room podcasts, yeah, just hit subscribe wherever you're listening in, and that way you won't miss a thing. But yeah, this has been Charlotte Westwood on, on behalf of both myself and our sponsor, PGG Rights and Seeds. Hope you have a great day out and about doing whatever you're doing. Catch you soon. Cheers.